you would, to 1 Timothy chapter 2. And uh, tonight we're in one of these scriptures. You know, a lot of scriptures you kind of go through, there's a little, sometimes they're a little controversial, and there's different things about them, and people don't agree on them. And once in a while, there's just a scripture, you almost don't need to teach on it, because there's absolutely no controversy in it. You just read it, and you realize everybody agrees on that. And that's one of those scriptures tonight, but we'll look at it anyway. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9. In like manner also, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamed uh, uh, facedness and sobriety, not with broided hair and gold or pearls or costly array, by which cometh uh, women professing godliness with good works. Let the women learn in silence with all subjection. I mean, this is just stuff everybody... Well, we all know that. Why you, There's no controversy here. But the... Uh, but I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over a man, but uh, to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. Adam was not deceived, but the woman was de- being deceived, was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she should be saved in childbearing, uh, if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. I mean, no controversy on any of this, is it? This is just one of those kind of wonderful ones you say, oh, this is going to be easy. And... Uh, Well, (laughs) there is a little controversy over some of this stuff, but it's also something I think is quite important. As Paul begins, though, this chapter, to put it a little bit in context, he is speaking both to men and to women, initially to men. In verse 1, he said, First, uh, he said, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings. Uh, And then he goes on... uh, uh, through this, and he's really speaking to men, and, uh, and and although the whole church, of course, but in leadership of the church and and having them guide the church as he has been carrying it on. And now here, I believe, in the second part of the chapter, he turns and he speaks to women, and as he does it, I believe he really gives to me the attributes of a beautiful woman. And I know that this is something that just the reading of it, it has a it gets a lot of people kind of thinking, but. Uh, as he begins there in verse 9, he says, In like manner also, that women... And now after he's kind of addressed the men, and wishing that men would be the spiritual leaders of the church, that they would be the ones leading in prayer and supplications, making requests unto God. Uh, tragically, a lot today has happened. There's a lot of role reversals. I suppose most places you go and where there's prayer meetings, you usually find more women than men when it comes to praying. A lot of things go on in church that are really done by, by women leading the church, and men just kind of laying back and letting the women women do it. And then also, at the other side, oftentimes there's a lot of controversy over women and their their role, and we don't know what men are supposed to be doing oftentimes, and we don't know what what women are oftentimes supposed to be doing. But here, what Paul is talking about here is essentially some of the things that just make up a beautiful woman, and especially a beautiful woman in the leadership of the church. What is it that the church is looking around and saying, there is a beautiful, fabulous woman. And looking there and wanting to see men offer up prayers. And he looks there at at women there and he's talking so much about their place. And the first thing he brings out in verse 9 is essentially just some issues of modesty. And he says, in like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel. And... uh, 
Paul isn't saying here essentially at all so much that a you know a woman's got to you know wear old clothes or look like you know she some sort of a missionary and not take care of herself. Sometimes I and maybe some of you actually came or around churches where women are not allowed to uh, clean up or fix themselves up or uh, do anything to their face or makeup or hair color or uh, things like that and and it's very worldly or carnal if you do anything like that and so you should just you know leave it alone you know sort of a thing and uh, don't try to fix anything up and uh, personally I like Kay Smith once said you know if if the, if the old barn needs paint paint it and uh, to the women but the uh, but essentially, though, what Paul here is, he's, as he is addressing the women, there it's, it's something I believe. The first thing that he does, though, is that there is a spirit of modesty that a woman ought to have. Uh, that When there is a woman that it refuses to get caught up in the worldly sense uh, so often of what Hollywood says beauty is, what Paris or Rome or New York says a beautiful woman is, Paul actually stands back and he says, I want, maybe Paul even sounds old-fashioned here or something, but as if to look back and he says, you know, one of the most beautiful things you'll ever see on a woman is modesty. One of the most attractive, desirable attributes of a woman is when you just see within her a spirit of, of modesty about her. And, and where the emphasis isn't on the external so much, but there is an internal beauty that is about this woman there that, uh, that, that she has found. Peter has a little bit of the same things to say. In 1 Peter 3, Paul writes, or Peter writes, and he says, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection unto your own husbands, that if uh, any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the manner of, of uh, life of the wife. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning let it not be of the outward adorning of the plating of hair and the wearing of gold and the putting on of apparel, but let it be of the hidden man of the heart. That which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. Here, Peter, he looks there, and, and I believe Peter, not just speaking as an apostle, not just speaking as a, you know, as a pastor of a church, not just speaking perhaps as an evangelist, but I believe there's it, it, consistent with all of those, he was also speaking as a man, also speaking as a human being. And what the, you, you find where what is attractive, what is beautiful. What is so often sometimes almost stunning about a human being. And when there is somebody that is found that they don't have to, if they, the people so often that put the great emphasis on the superficial, that that is where the money and the time and the energy is spent to get all of that decked out and looking good and making it attractive, so often there is so little that has happened internally. There is so little that has happened in the sense of a real beauty and attractiveness. And sometimes, you know, I think that a, that a uh, modesty is something that just doesn't seem to fit for a lot of people. But as far as the Lord is concerned, he looks at a woman when there's somebody that knows a sense of modesty. We, the, you know, the worldly person, we go through these cycles, kind of. I remember when my boys, all three of them, growing up, and you need, when you, kind of where you start noticing girls and things, there's, you, you don't notice girls that look like your mother. <laughs> I sure didn't when I was growing up. I mean, but but uh, I mean, my mother is a very beautiful woman, a very attractive woman. But I I wasn't looking for girls that walked and talked and dressed like my mother, and I had a mother. I wasn't looking for a mother, 
And I was looking, you know, for a girl. And so often, girls are tempted very easily in our society to be drawn into the superficial. That which has kind of an immediate attraction to guys around. You know, they turn their head. They have an attraction to them. They want to talk to them. They want to carry on a conversation. But the real thing that is so interesting to me, I also found basically with my sons, is I don't know, I'm speaking for them on here, but I, uh, that... They found themselves when they were looking there for a wife, when they were really looking at something, hey, this is somebody I want to build a real relationship. I want depth. I want quality. I want somebody that is going to truly be mine. I want real beauty. The next thing you know is all the superficial things are not what anybody wants. There are those things that can be initially attractive, but they are not that which hold together a relationship at all. And so here is... uh, Paul writes, he, he wants to tell women there in a sense almost what is he saying? There, here's real beauty. Here is in the church, in the body of Christ, where real beauty is found. And first of all, it finds itself in a sense where a woman has learned a sense of modesty. And he says that women adorn themselves. And uh, as he looks, he says, that, you know, that in, uh, in modest apparel, the word adorn uh, in the Greek language it ones that uh, that it's it's as if they're telling a woman there that that when you put on modesty in a sense there as if it means to put on an ornament in a sense just like in a sense how somebody might get dressed and they may reach in you know to their wardrobe or into your jewelry box and pick out you know these earrings and this necklace and this nose ring and Whatever, all, wherever you put rings these days and all this stuff. But here Peter, or Paul is telling him, he says, when you're reaching in and you're pulling out what you want to put on, what you want to adorn yourself with, rather than, than being concerned of adorning yourself with the external things, realize that when God created a woman, he created something so beautiful. That you didn't have to work with it. You didn't have to to go and do all sorts of superficial things to make it attractive. And uh, as much as as when a woman realizes there the desire to make an attraction uh, of herself based upon the depth of her being. Not by any means to suggest that the Bible is ever opposed to to beauty, natural or fixing up stuff. It's just the sense there where there is a modesty about it. When he says they're in modest apparel, that means well-ordered when he, or, 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 uh, or becoming. That there is somebody that they find themselves, I just want to be well-ordered. I just want to get it together kind of a thing. I'd like to get all the being there kind of, of lined up. And it's something they're wanting to show, wanting people when that they would come to know her or be around her, that there's somebody there that has a sense of beauty that is internal. And uh, that's where her emphasis is at. That's what she, that's where she wants to be. I know one of the things that attracted me so much to Jean, the very first night I took her out, I was, uh, I was, you know, your typical, I was a new Christian, been a Christian about a year maybe, but uh, decided I wanted to take her to Hollywood. We lived in Southern California. Took her down to the Occidental Building, place a, a restaurant called Room at the Top, the top floor of the uh, Occidental Building there. I got the corner table so you could look out all over Hollywood and 
got my Impala, Super Sport, all washed, waxed, cleaned up. I took a bath, shaved, cleaned up everything, you know, borrowed my brother's clothes and got everything ironed and polished and, and picked her up and I'm driving her down to Hollywood to take her to dinner and find out she'd never been to Hollywood. Now, she'd grown up in Southern California. She'd never been to Hollywood. She said, no, I've never been interested. Well, you better get interested because that's where we're going, you know. And the uh, and I'm I'm kind of tracking in one level, and she didn't need Hollywood. She didn't need the room at the top. She didn't need fancy places. She didn't need corner tables. And not only that, she didn't even eat much. I remember too. That was kind of nice. Like, hey, I got an economy model here, you know, sort of a thing. But is but as we're you know driving down the road. On San Bernardino Freeway on the way there, she said, you know, I've heard a few things about you. And I said, oh, have you really? And she says, yes. I said, so what have you heard? And then she proceeds to tell me. And it ended up that her mom and my mom were in a prayer group with some other women who, you know, how they don't gossip. They just pray out loud. You know, sort of a thing. and You know, or whatever. But it's, uh, so her mom knew some things and before God that she was to keep before God and didn't do it and told them to Jean and you know uh, about me and so she tells me some of these things that she'd heard and I'm there kind of quiet wondering oh <laughs> you do know <laughs> you think that, you know and uh, but then it's kind of quiet for a few minutes and she says to me she said you know there's one thing that I desire of every person I ever spend any time with I said what's that and she said that for the rest of my life, I can thank God for the time we had together. In my mind, when she said that, it just began to race. I began to look back at relationships and try to think of people that I'd spent time with. And for the rest of my life, I wanted to say, oh, Lord, thank you for that time we had together. Oh, that was so good. And I found myself looking back and not being able to draw on any relationships like that. Not really knowing those type of relationships to where uh, you know, that, that, you've, that you look there and say, I want to keep this memory. And I want to keep it all my life. And I found myself there seeing a beauty I never even knew existed. Being attracted to something that there was a modesty and there was a reality and there was a sense of order. And this is what Paul is talking about here. There when he looks there, uh, when he, the decor, it means a well-ordered, a life there that somebody themselves can look back and say, I'm glad I handled my relationships the way that I did, that I was the type of a person that I was. And here he looks at, at a woman, he says, if you want to... You, the, the, be a woman of God, is modest apparel, and with shamefacedness and sobriety. The word shamefacedness, or, uh, it actually means bashfulness, literally. It's there, looking there at a, at, 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 as he describes a woman, he says, somebody there that instead of having to be the big outgoing extrovert and the one that is, you know, miss personality or this or that, that there is somebody there that almost there, that don't worry about being bashful, don't worry about having a quietness about you. It's not a bad thing at all. And sobriety, the word sobriety just means sanity. And it's... Uh, uh, about them, a sober-mindedness, and where, in a sense, that the passions, the desires, the nature of the person, in a sense, that there's somebody that it's, uh, as opposed to everything that is superficial or frivolous, that there is a sanity, there is a depth about the person. 
And uh, here is, is Paul is laying it out. And then he's, and as opposed to, when he says, not with broidered hair or plaited hair. And, and one of the things that has always been kind of a, uh, an issue, you know, with uh, Paul in Corinthians even says there that a, that a woman's beauty, that hair is a very great portion of it. That's even why in the Bible he tells men, don't you worry about your hair. It's a woman's glory. And... Uh, uh, you got hair, enjoy it, I guess, if you're a man, you know, something, but don't make any big deal out of it. And he says, that's a woman's glory. That's something there that is an attraction thing to her. And, uh, uh, but, and here, but then they would always go on and try to do other things with their hair. And, and uh, again, today so often you look at the pressure on, on, you know, all the, so often in the world with women and with their hair and with the external. And he said, don't worry about that. Uh, or with uh, with gold or with pearls or costly array. He's looking there as if to say all these things are quite superficial. They aren't the things that are going to bring you any place effectively. They're not going to be things that people really look at in somebody and say they are a beautiful person. Might say they're attractive. They might say, boy, they you know they're a real head turner or boy they're stunning or this and that. But when they would look there and say of real and true magnificent beauty, he's saying that isn't it. Then goes on and he says there that a woman uh, there have known for her modesty. And then in verse 10 he says, uh, But uh, uh, which becometh a woman professing godliness with great works. He then goes on and he says, When you start off as a woman there, and modesty is not a boring word, it's not a miserable word, it's not all great, you want me to be modest. But when a woman realizes, I do want these qualities of modesty, and then also with that, a, a purity, as he says there, which becometh uh, women professing godliness. In other words, these are things that they be, they're very, very becoming on a woman that professes to be godly. A woman there that says, I'm a Christian. She professes her, her faith in Christ. She professes, this is what I stand for. That she finds there, that she looks there with a sense of the modesty and godliness. She looks there and he says, you take godly modesty and godliness when I desire uh, their modesty and then purity there that uh, that I that, that a woman looks says I want to be godly I want to be godly and if and to realize if somebody does isn't attracted to godliness I don't want them to be attracted to me I don't know how often it is I see girls that are that uh, almost uh, you know for the sake of a date or to get somebody to spend time with or whatever they'll take and they'll put their godliness away and instead they're to realize that I'm never going to do that what it is that I am within my heart, I'm going to be it all the way through and through. And the, the modesty and the purity are going to be the attributes by which she finds herself defining uh, their life. So, and, and then he goes on uh, to her as well, and he says that now you take some modesty, and then you add to it a sense of purity, and then you add ministry to it. For he says there, uh, that which becometh women professing godliness with good works. And here now is somebody that they look at their life and they want modesty, they want purity, and they want a life that says good works. That says that the things that make them tick are good things, high things, noble things. That there are things that when somebody looks at what makes them tick, they realize she is a good woman. She is truly a wonderful and a good person. Then on top of that, in verse 11, you add to it humility. He says, let the women learn in silence with all subjection. We'll go on from this. I don't want to even spend any time on that one. But anyway, well, we probably should spend a little. 
Isn't this fun? Uh, just think, you're here tonight. Some people aren't, didn't get to be here and enjoy this. But the... Uh, but here Paul is looking there now in a sense, and he's, I'm sure, going back in a sense to the very Garden of Eden, to the very issues, because this is what he's going to be kind of following up on in the next couple of verses. And that is, is that after God created Adam, of course, created man, then out of his side he took Eve and created woman, which means out of man. And then uh, uh, Adam was called to, to lead, and he didn't do it. We'll look at that a little bit in a moment. But then... Uh, Eve was the one that was tricked. Eve was the one in the garden that was deceived. Satan came there, you know, to her. And, uh, and uh, when the subjection was broken between Adam and Eve, and Eve rather than when the serpent came to uh, uh, start discussing things with her, instead of saying, wait a minute, I'm going to go to my husband and we're going to talk together about this, she carries on a conversation. And as they carry on the conversation, you may recall that, you know, that Satan says to her, did God say you can't eat of it? And then, and then she even added a little bit to it. She said, yes, she said, we can't eat of it or touch it. You know, and, and she, you know, women tend to kind of just add a little things now and then to make the story a little bit better and more interesting. You know, and the, uh, well, I mean, that's, that's, have you ever listened on how different are, you know, one of the things is always, like a woman can go to the hairdresser. You know, and, you, and she comes back in the hairdresser, and another woman goes, Oh, you got a haircut. Oh, yeah, but I don't want to talk about it. Why don't you want to? Oh, well, I, I wanted it this color, and I got this thing there. And, and then they cut this over there, and, well, yeah, but you can flop that out, and you can do this with that over there, and you can move that over there and shove that around, and then get a clip on that thing, and it'll look stunning. And they can go on for 20 minutes about, you know, a man gets a haircut, and the guy says, Haircut? Yeah, haircut. And it's gone. That's it. You know, but the... Uh, they move on to the next topic. But here it's something where he comes to Eve and starts going. And the next thing you know, he's got this gal who just loves to share, loves to communicate. And, uh, and for this reason, he goes on and he says, But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over a man, but to be in silence. And here as he looks now, once again, <laughs> I want to keep right on moving here. Roby, you ready to sing? But anyway, the... Uh, uh, here, when, when he gets into this, he essentially is looking at a woman there and he's telling her, I, one of the most beautiful attributes you'll ever see in a woman is a woman where you've got modesty and you've got purity and you've got ministry and you have got humility or submission. That there is a desire within her, you know, there to, 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 to have an attribute of submission to her. Something there that didn't happen in the garden and in which... Caused a little crisis that we've been dealing with ever since. But something that when a woman realizes, it, it's a few you got that. I want to keep moving though. But the, uh, but something there that when it has nothing to do, by the way, with with the issue of submission. As far as God's concerned, you, today you hear the word submission. Most people, it just sounds like you know fingernails on a chalkboard. You know, it's just don't tell me that word. I hate that word. Evidently, in the ladies' ministry a while back, there was a study on submission, and one of the gals here happened to get a new car, and, and it wasn't exactly what she wanted. It was what her husband thought she ought to get, and she got the car that her husband calls, but she calls it her S-car, her submission car. <laughs> That's my S-car. I got it because my husband said to get it. And the, uh, but anyway, but do we hate the word submission. 
But at the same time, know this, that when God created Adam and Eve and they sinned, He sent them both out of the garden. He says, you're both going to submit. Both of them. It wasn't one submitted and the other didn't. He told Adam, you're going to go out and work by the sweat of your brow. And you're going to, you know, uh, from dust you came and dust you returned. You're, the earth is going to bring forth thorns and thistles. And you're going to have, you know, under your fingernails are going to get torn up. Your back's going to ache. And you are going to work the field. You came from the dust and you will work the dust of the earth. And you're going to plow field. And then he looked at woman, and woman, he looked at her, and he said, Now, Adam, you came out of the dust. You'll submit to the dust. And he says to woman, you'll submit to man. And the issue isn't so much there of, 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 of anybody more important, less important, more intelligent, more or less spiritual. Having to do with any of that is not even part of the topic. The whole issue of submission is how God teaches all of us. He looks at the man, he says, you go to work, and so often men go to work for an employer, and, and the work can be hard and long and little response, and you don't get everything you thought you were promised, and it isn't all it's cracked up to be, and all sorts of things are very real about it. But in that process, God has a way of breaking a man, and molding a man, and fashioning a man through his career. And so often with the woman, you know, that he, he promised her what kind of guy he was going to be, and all this other stuff, and she believed it. <laughs> Oh, well, they do that. But anyway, she believed it and married him. And then he isn't this. And now God says, submit to him. There's your field. And sometimes your field will bring forth thorns and thistles, and it'll have floods and famines, and it'll be dry, and it'll be all sorts of things, just a seasonal things, just like the, the, the field he plows can be a trial. The field you work in will be a trial too for you. But through it is how God works and how God teaches us and molds us and brings us deeply to himself when we learn these things. And uh, they, aren't, they aren't higher or lower or greater or lesser. They are roles that God gives. In 1 Corinthians 11.3, Paul writes, he says, But I would have you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. And when he uses that, he says, There are, just as God is head, the Father over the Son. God the Son is head over man, and man is head over woman. But at the same time, as he does that, he also, in, first, in, in Ephesians uh, 5.23 you know, he says, uh, there he says that husbands are to love your wife as Christ of the church. And uh, gave himself for in 525. And he says, uh, just as he is the head of the church. And it, when you look there and realize that how was Jesus the head of the church? By authority or power or threat? Did he get one of us by being head of, with a whip or with a ball and chain and beating? No. And when a man, when, when God says here, you, the, your role is head, and he says to the wife, your role in this, you'll submit to him. And when somebody just realizes, he says to the man, now you'll go submit over here, and woman, you'll go submit over here. And here Paul says that when you see a woman that understands this, and heads into this, it has nothing to do with greater or lesser godliness or lack of it. And uh, men are to be in spiritual leadership at the home and spiritual leadership at the church. Now, some churches you may go to, and a lot of homes you go to, they're matriarchal, the women rule. I found, though, in those that's not biblical. Not biblical for the church and not biblical for the home. And, uh, and that when somebody realizes there that God, you know, when a man knows his role in, in church and he knows his role in home and he takes it and he leads it, you get a stronger church, you get a, uh, a stronger home. When a woman at the same time knows her role in the church 
and knows her role in the home and loves it. Doesn't fight it, doesn't argue about it, but, but, but there wants to, to be in that role. And then he tells us why the role is. Why this is, this is how, he doesn't just leave it up for, say, here, just submit. He gives us three reasons. In verse 13, he says, For Adam was uh, the first uh, formed, then Eve. He says, first of all, Adam was first. The word woman, as I said, it means out of man. God created Adam first, and then he created Eve. And uh, it's something to me where a lot of women, the idea of their having somebody say, I don't like this, I don't want to be a woman, I don't want to be out of man, I don't even want to think of me being out of man. I don't like that. And, but I found that most women that struggle with that oftentimes grew up in a home where uh, the men that had role models within their life were not ahead as Christ was head. That uh, oftentimes when I see the most anxiety and the greatest hostilities towards these things with women that have been hurt or abused or things that went on that were not remotely biblical for what a man ought to be and the woman has reacted to that atmosphere and has now created their own little doctrine and dogma and behavior and opinions on society and how it ought to operate but I firmly believe that as far as God's concerned when he looks at heaven and the economy you know on earth here and he looks at the body of Christ I believe that if men were men as God created men to be if they love their wife as Christ of the church, if they knew what it was to go out and submit to the field and to plow the thing and bring back into the home that which they had supplied, God created a man with a game of frame to be able to go out and plow a field. He gave him uh, you know, a body that's designed to operate working, carrying a load. And it's just fundamentally created that way and when he does his role and he loves his role and he brings it back and says look honey look at what I got and he loves her and he cares for her and to me when when uh, I think if you got any, uh, if men were men women would like being women and uh, and a lot of times I understand the one that don't like it but it's the basis that they've formed opinion is messed up and then that messes them up but here it's something that, that he looks there and he says God just created this way not Greater, not lesser. Won't be for all life, by the way, all eternity. The Bible makes it quite clear. In heaven, there's neither male nor female. There'll be neither married nor giving in marriage in heaven. And uh, so the roles will be gone. But what God has got us learning and dealing with here in this life, if a woman there looks there and says, God, give me beauty. I want to be beautiful. And then God says, all right, modesty and purity and godliness and ministry and humility. And, uh, and he says also there, uh, secondly, he says there in verse 14, he says, For Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived uh, was in the transgression. And he looked there and he says essentially, he says there that, that uh, men were first. So a woman, he says, I want you to submit to him. And then he says, secondly, he says, ladies, you're more easily deceived. And this, again, this to me has nothing to do with intelligence. It's just a fact. I know this because, number one, the Bible says it. And I know it, too, because I've observed it. I believe women are more easily deceived than men. And uh, which is, I believe God created them that way. I believe He created. There's one thing to me. I look, and, I, and men are created, I believe, to lead. Uh, and women, I believe God created her. They've got an unbelievable capacity to nurture and to care in the home and in the family. 
I believe a man, God created you, you gotta be strong, you gotta be a leader, you gotta lay out the course, and then you got this woman over here and you got these kids, but there is the woman, she, she's not interested so much in all this other stuff that a man sees. She just sees what we got, how are the kids, how are the family. She has this unbelievable care and have compassion and to see what's going on and read the heart and sense the needs were man to say hey look we're here we got to get over here pack up and move i don't care who yells and screams and cries just pack them up and we're going in but a woman sits there and she has this caring nature about her and she reads stuff and she's she's gullible i suppose you could look at the word but gullible to me almost like i look at moses and aaron where moses a great leader a dynamic leader, a powerful leader, but a fearful leader. But but Moses desperately needed Aaron, the high priest, who could intercede and he cared for the people. He had compassion on the people. He was touched with their feelings and their infirmities. And when they were down, he listened and he cared and he took it all in and he read it. You need both of those in society. You need somebody that is strong but balanced out by somebody that cares. And one of the the weaknesses of a caring person is they're very gullible. Because there's, their heart leads them a lot. I remember when, one of the things, when we first got married, now one of the wonderful things, Jean, I never met anybody as innocent as she was. I used to kid her about it, but until the Lord showed me, the Bible says, be wise to good and simple to evil. And she was simple to evil. She, she didn't lie, and she grew up in this wonderful Christian home, and Christian nursery school, Christian grammar school, Christian high school, Christian college, everything had Christian on it, or she wasn't in it. And she grew up in this sort of a world, and it was one where you, lie, you didn't lie, you told the truth, and, you, and uh, whatever it was is how it, life was, very wonderful, very simple. I grew up a few blocks away from <laughs> that, those tracks, on the other side of the tracks. And it was survival of the fittest and the best liar. You know, or whatever. It was just, and you had to be, you saw people and what was going on. Well, when we got married, and here the two of us, different worlds. But Jean, you tell her anything. And she would believe it. Anything at all. And she was so responsive, so gullible. One time, we walked into the house, and the kids, I I think I remember which one it is, but for the sake of the the child potentially having told the truth, which I don't believe for a moment. But anyway, uh, we walk in, and the cookie jar is there, the lid is off. One of the children's there, he's got cookie crumbs on his face, down in front of him, and he's doing something in his mouth. And Jean immediately perceives the child has eaten some cookies, of which they were not to do. And she came over and she says, Why did you eat any? Why did you eat cookies? I didn't eat any cookies. You know, you didn't eat any cookies? No, I didn't have any cookies. And I watched this conversation. Are you sure you didn't have any cookies? I didn't have any cookies. Oh. And I'm sitting there, the kid's skating away on this thing. I said, wait a minute, get back here. And I said, see, he ate, honey, he ate the cookies. No, no, he just, I just asked him. He said he didn't eat the cookies. I said, wait a minute, honey, the cookies are out of the, some cookies are missing the jar. The lid is off. The kid has got cookie crumbs on his face. They're down his front. If you open up his mouth, you look in there, and if you want to cut him open, I guarantee he's full of cookie crumbs. <laughs> And she's looking there. I said, the kid lied to you. Do you understand that? And all of a sudden, Jean got these big crocodile tears in her eyes. And she looked, she said, the thought that one of her children lied to her. She said, he lied to me? 
<laughs> he said, oh yeah, big time. <laughs> but that's one of the wonderful attributes, I believe, of even of a beautiful woman. There is a sense about her to where the one side of it, she can be deceived very easily. But the, because she is, in the heart of her, she is an intercessor, and because she cares, and because she pleads, and because she has the desire there to nurture and to raise up, a life around there, uh, her, is that uh, uh, when she realizes that, that she can be deceived. And she finds herself there looking and realizing there that it's interesting how many things happen through deceived women that can deceive others. Not to say men don't either, because the Bible's full of that too. But uh, there's a gullibility. Uh, and I think when women realize that's true. And just that is. And, they, and I think almost want to be that way. I think a good woman realizes, I want to be trusting. And I, and I, err, I want to err on the side of grace and mercy. I want to err on the side of trust. Well, that, that's a wonderful quality to raise a family with, but it's, you need a balance to it. And then also in verse 15, then he gives the last reason we'll look at before Roe becomes. He says, notwithstanding, she should be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness and sobriety. And here Paul says that when you want to be a beautiful woman, he says, find yourself to where there's modesty. There, where you, you, you look at, at modesty and you, you desire a sense of modesty and of purity and of ministry and of, uh, of humility. And then when you look there and realize that in this uh, humility there, there's a desire there to be submissive. And in that, I believe sometimes it takes a far more spiritual woman to be submissive than it does. It takes a very godly woman to be submissive. It is a tough job. When there you're listening to somebody that says, this is what we're going to do. And you know it doesn't work. You say, you know, I, I, I love you and you're my husband and I want to submit to you. And if you think that worked, uh, I think God might teach you another thing. But at the same time, I'll go with it because you're my husband. I mean, that's, I want to stand back and say, whoa, that, see, because that puts a man right in a place where now God can beat him silly. Now God can deal with him. If a woman, I'll tell you, you know, one of the things about, and let me tell you women something there, that if I could make it as simple as I can. A lot of women, they try to run their husbands, and a lot of times what they're telling them is more intelligent, and it is right. And the guy has made a mistake, and he shouldn't have done it. But at the same time, the guy also knows two things. Most men, it's born in us. We just know somehow or another, I'm supposed to be the leader. And we usually know we're to be the leader far better than we know how to do it. And so therefore, when somebody comes and tells us we're not leading right, and that we should do what they do, what they're saying, now there's also something, wait a minute, I'm not, you're not the leader, I'm supposed to be the leader. So I'm going to defend the right that I have to, I have to leadership, even though I don't have anything to defend it with. Even though I'm not right. Because now there's two things that are going on here. Number one, who's the leader? And number two, you know, who's right? And usually to a man, who is leading is more important than what's right. <laughs> if any of you women, a lot of women, oh boy, is that ever true. Because I'll tell you something. If you ask us to defend a very stupid decision, we will. Just to, just to keep the role. You know, there to, because we're the leader. And when a woman can let a man do that, when a woman can let God teach him and learn, it's a beautiful quality. Unbelievably beautiful quality. 
And then he says, the last chapter, notwithstanding that she shall be saved in childbearing, if they continue in faith and charity and holiness and sobriety. Here he looks now, he says, and now one of the greatest qualities of a beautiful woman is the fact that she actually looks at her real saving role is in her children. That her greatest role is bringing children into the world and raising them. One of the great tragedies, I think, of this generation is that almost, women are almost, it's almost like if somebody says, I want to be a mother, people today say, that's it? That's what you, what, what, what are you, who have you been listening to? Who's got you, what do you mean you want to be a mother? I want to be a wife and a mother. And that you would look, I mean, sometimes, you know, you'd, you'd turn on, you know, you listen to interviews and there even somebody, so-and-so, what do you, well, I'm CEO of, CEO Incorporated, you know, or whatever in the, and uh, yes, sir, I broke through the glass ceiling, you know, and kicked it through with my high heels or my hiking boots or whatever, you know, that she had on at the time, you know, or something. And now I'm chairman here. Oh, wow. That is really something. And the woman next to her said, what do you do? I'm, oh, I'm a housewife. Oh, you poor dear. You know, couldn't you do anything else? Didn't you, you didn't you realize the potential you could have of your life? But I'll tell you something, I'm convinced personally, and you can disagree with me, and that's fine with me, because one of the wonderful things about heaven is everything that gets straightened out, and I'm patient, you can apologize to me then, and say, oh, I found out. But the thing is, I'm convinced that God created men to be leaders, and he created women there in, with, with an, an entirely different and yet wonderful role of being an influencer. And men go, you know, to me, God created men to care for this generation. And he created women to produce the next one and to provide and to protect. And, to, and, and to men go out and let's take care of what we got. You know, I mean, let's provide for what we got. And women sit there and say, yes, and what we've got to take care of is the next generation to follow. Because if somebody merely has just done a good job and boy, they got everything done this generation and they got it together and look at how they achieved it. Boy, is this something, but they don't have anybody to give it to. Or what they have to give it to is in a miserable, torn, confused state. But to me, when somebody looks there and realizes that the blessing of those children and of seeing their lives and seeing the high, wonderful role of a woman there who's saved through childbearing, and the role there of the influence behind, somebody once said, behind every godly man you'll find a woman, or every successful man you'll find a woman. Well, those kind of sayings don't last if they aren't true. There, when you will find there, behind a man that has succeeded, you'll find a woman who has influenced greatly their lives. And it's interesting, I mean, when somebody realizes the magnitude, men go out and do all this stuff now and, and take care of stuff, but women are the ones that provide where it all ultimately goes. And the next generation. One takes care of this generation, the next one, produce, you know, the, the wife takes care of producing the next. And it's interesting. Men go out, and of course, the old joker story sometimes you hear, you know, dad goes out, he's got his boy, and he throws a football with him and catch out and back and forth playing ball in the street, and he teaches him how to block and how to run and uh, how to learn the plays, and he takes him to after-school sports, and he follows him through, you know, and he's on the booster club and he shows up at everything and he takes him to his practices and good old daddy's there with him all the time and you know and meantime the kid finally becomes a great football player and on national tv you know he catches the you know the the, the pass in the end zone 
and scores and you know throws the ball down and the camera zooms in on him and what does she say? Hi, mom. Well, dad is said, mom. Mom doesn't even know what the name of that play was. Mom doesn't even know what your job. She doesn't even know what position you were, you are. She was. She never threw a ball to you. She never knew a play. She never went to this. She, and you say, mom. And it is because something there that the child realizes that he has been nurtured. He may have been trained. And he may have had other things that dad gave, but the heart that he got that made him beat and made him live was mom. And here it is something there that when people realize, Paul is looking saying, this is such a wonderful, beautiful attribute. And when a woman decides this is what she is and what she wants to be and she loves it, and one of the, you know, when you're young, you don't see these things so much. I think the older you get, you know, our kids are all gone. Now we get, I get three sons, three daughter-in-laws, three grandchildren, three trinities, and uh, wanting to see it grow more. But the thing is, is that you get to where no matter what it is you think you've been or you've accomplished, one day you sit there and realize all oh, you've got, your kids. And, and maybe some of you don't have children, and, but at the same time, then in the body of Christ, you do. You can walk out here after till we go out tonight, and you may be childless, you may not have anybody around, or you may not have Christian kids around. And, but at the same time, I'll tell you, you can leave here tonight, and you can walk right over to that gym, and it'll be full of kids looking for somebody to help them and love them and nurture them and befriend them. And when somebody looks there and says, that's what I want to do with my life. I remember one time one of my boys was going through a trial and I and not walking with the Lord and I was murmuring and grumbling and uptight and figured, God, how can I minister? And, and here you want me to go out and feed and minister and help other people at the same time look at my kid and uh, thinking that somehow or another, Lord, you owe it to me. Fix my kid, you know. And out of nowhere, the Lord spoke to me and he, as if I was an ungrateful guy said, you have a whole church of kids. Now you go take care of the ones that are listening now and I'll take care of the one that isn't when I'm ready. Now you go and you minister and you help. And to me, when we look there, rather than and say, Lord, how can I be used to nurture and to strengthen? And here Paul says, when a woman knows these things and has these qualities, you've got an absolutely beautiful woman. And it's not a weak woman. It's a powerful woman. I think that to be a woman like this takes far more maturity and far more godliness than it does to be any other kind of woman in the world. Amen? I heard the men. <laughs> Ladies? <laughs> no, I'm not going to push it. No, let me. Roby. All right. You got a nice submission song? You got a nice submission song? I'm so happy in submission every day. You know, something like that? No, kiss, come on. Well, Never. You, 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 <laughs> yeah, you, you would too. To have you and to realize we are always in your presence. You never leave us or forsake us. But Lord, there's a tremendous difference of us consciously seeking your presence. Enjoying your, your, your presence, desiring that you would guide us tomorrow. Realizing, Lord, that you do present us faultless. Lord, what a wonderful thing tonight to be able to come and realize through the miraculous work of Jesus Christ we are presented, presented faultless before God. 
not just okay or a little better or kind of forgiven, but without flaw. Lord, what a wonderful God you are. We ask that you'll just continue your work within us. And may all of us, Lord, desire the qualities that heaven says are beautiful in a man or a woman. Lord, those qualities of the modesty of life and of the purity of heart. Lord, that our lives would just be given over to you and serving you. So, Lord, may you continue your work within us. Thank you for your word. May we delight in the roles that you have given to us, whether as a man, may we be men of prayer, men of leadership, godly leadership, and Lord, as a woman, to know, Lord, your work of your spirit within us, each woman here. We ask your blessing upon them, how grateful we are for them. In Jesus' name, amen.